Hello, I am Dylan Pappenfuss, and I am here with Candlin Newell today. Uh, Candlin, will you tell us a little about yourself? Um, I guess most relevant to this is that um, when we're talking about etiquette is I'm a non-traditional student who returned to BYU 10 years ago to complete my undergraduate degree and in American Studies and Art History. And at the conclusion of that degree, I determined that I would pursue a PhD in counseling psychology. That led me to my present profession, which I am the head sports psychologist at Utah Valley University. I am also the mother of six wonderful children with um, 12 wonderful in-laws that I don't even consider in-laws and 14 grandchildren. And I like in my spare time reading, half marathons, I love Pilates, and um, American pop culture, music and movies. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I had the opportunity to take an etiquette class from you, uh, gosh, three years ago now. Time flies. What is etiquette? Okay, so um, Dylan, you referenced an etiquette class, and for the BYU community, what happened was about, um, it's been 10 years ago, I was approached about developing an etiquette class, a full semester class. And um, I thought, is that even a viable class for a university? And so I did some research, found out that other universities were doing the same thing, mostly because of the prompt was as they began to survey employers, they were looking, why were their students not getting hired? And they discovered, uh, first of all, that their students worked great in groups. That's why you're always put in groups during your college experience. Number two, they were very bright and capable. But third, they had no social skills. And so I started to consider that, and I thought, what? our social skills. Um, because of my husband's background, he was the youngest ambassador to serve since Thomas Jefferson. When I was 28 years old, I was his, accompanied him to Stockholm, Sweden. And the week before we went out to, uh, to serve um, the United States, Shirley Temple Black, um, who most people know, um, you know, Shirley Temple, she had been an ambassador twice, and she taught a week-long seminar in etiquette to prepare the ambassadors and their wives to go out and serve. It was overwhelming. I still have the notebook that has all of these rules, all of these things that you need to do in a three foot long shelf of um, books that I studied. And I thought, how do you ever navigate this? And then in Sweden, um, as I tried to do my best to serve well, I had some experiences that changed how I looked at etiquette. And those experiences led me to look more at the historic, historical foundations um, where etiquette came from, and really etiquette is just being thoughtful of those around you, being respectful of them, thinking of them, having the confidence to forget about yourself so you can focus on the people around you and create relationships. That's what etiquette is about. And I really feel that the um, rules kind of overtook that principle. We, you know, worried which um, knife do we use, which fork do we use. And when we're thinking about knives and forks, we forget about the reason we're there, which is we're having a meal with someone. We're creating a relationship. We're able to have conversations with them. So to me, etiquette is just really thinking about other people. Excellent, thank you. Um, you mentioned some defining experiences that really helped uh, reframe etiquette for you. Uh, would you care to explain some of those? Oh, this is a famous story. And um, when I do workshops, and I've actually had the, the great pleasure of starting to work within the business community as well, because this stuff is important. Um, David Deming came out with an article in 2017 for the Harvard Business Review, 40-some-plus pages that was both qualitative and quantitative, saying what is the next thing that's going to differentiate those who will be successful in the business world and those who won't. 
and it was social skills. So um, with that idea, I thought this is important again, looking back at my Shirley Temple Black experience, and I've been teaching this course here at BYU now for seven years, three-year gap in between. This is, um, so 14 semesters. The story is now kind of legendary, so if you'll forgive those who've heard it before. But what had happened is when um, we went to Sweden, President Reagan at the time tasked my husband with restoring relationships between Sweden and the United States because there had been some animosity created during the Vietnam War. Their prime minister had marched in protest against the United States, um, Olaf Palm, and you don't do that. That is not cool politically. And so we actually withdrew our ambassador from Sweden, which is that's a huge deal. I mean, that's like North Korea. That's like Cuba. It's very, very serious. Well, Swedes and Americans still continued as far as their business relationships, their cultural relationships. They, those um, relationships continued, but we weren't having high-level political discussions because of this. So President Reagan said, please, let's make sure we restore all of the relationships when you go over there fascinating process to um, observe because you literally have different levels of protocol. So these people come to lunch at our house and then the United States would have these people to lunch at this place and back and forth and back and forth until finally we're at a dinner that will be hosted in our home, the U.S. Embassy in Stockholm, that um, we are bringing together the King and Queen of Sweden and Mrs. Reagan. They're there for dinner. Now, a little bit of background. I'm just a normal middle-class girl. <laughs> I grew up eating hot dog and potato casserole, for heaven's sakes. I'm always, you know, sensitive to, yeah, you know, please and thank yous and things like that. But knowing the importance, number one, of this event and all of the protocols that would be involved, I was terrified. I thought, how do I make this dinner a successful thing? And so we literally practiced the entire dinner the night before. The food, the serving, everything, so that we could make sure. And I was so grateful because at that time... I had chosen these very these round flower arrangements that had candles sticking out of them, and about halfway through the dinner, the candles started to burn up the flowers. And I thought, oh good, nice save. So we got through that. The next day, um, people start um, arriving for the dinner, and we'd invited some really in people who had really strong ties to Sweden and the United States. So we had, at that time, Bjorn Borg, a tennis player. We had um, Miss Universe, um, Yvonne Redning was there. We had John W. Nordstrom and his wife, um, the twins, like the Nordstroms, okay? Um, he was there. Um, we had President Monson there because he has strong ties to Sweden. And um, Diana Ross. I mean, it was quite the, the, a wonderful guest list. And, of course, Mrs. Reagan and the King and Queen. They all come into um, the gathering area, and then we move into dinner. Little sidebar note, my husband and I are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we do not drink. But we had determined when we were entertaining on behalf of the United States that we would serve wine. We never served hard liquor, and if we were entertaining privately, we didn't have anything with alcohol in it. But we were entertained on behalf of the United States. Mrs. Reagan, coming from California, had graciously sent over these crates of wine from California that would match with the meal. Seats are taken, everyone is seated, and on the right is Miss um, the Queen, who will be the highest ranking guest uh, female in the room, and on the left is Mrs. Reagan. Everyone takes their places at the round table and we um, begin conversation. Another little sidebar note, I had on my right the King of Sweden, and on my left, President Monson, which was, really doesn't work for protocol, but I kind of pulled rank and I thought, oh, that will be fun. And not so fun, because little did I know they both love scouting. So for three hours, I got, I can tell you anything you want to know about international <laughs> scouting. It was really, I was, I was grateful, but it was a very interesting evening. 
So back to the beginning of the dinner. Just like you see in the movies, there's a butler for every table. You know, they have the linen cloth over their arm. And Magnus, the butler, most, um, goes to serve the first glass of wine to the Queen of Sweden. He begins pouring, and out comes a mouse. Now, the Queen of Sweden did nothing but turn her head. The only three people in that room who knew about the mouse were my husband, the butler, and the queen. And as I reflected on that experience the day after, weeks, years after, I thought, how did she do that? Why didn't she scream? When I tell the story, there's invariably someone who gasps in the room, and they haven't even seen the mouse. They're just hearing about it. But as I thought about her and knowing her, she knew the importance of this event. And there's no rule written for turn your head if you see a mouse. But she cared more about the people, such that she was even able to suppress her natural reactions. She just turned her head, the butler removed the glass, came back with another glass, another bottle of wine, and the dinner was extremely successful. Obviously enough such that the prime minister and the king and queen were then later invited to visit the United States and relationships were restored. If she had screamed, I could have just imagined the headlines because there are 40-plus press people there. You know, Americans trying to kill off Queen. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, and I, I thought about that, and that's when I had the shift. Um, it's not rules. It's people and the relationships we have and how we care about them. That's what etiquette's about. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, that shift from rules to people, I think, is really interesting and very important to remember. Um, about a decade ago, Thomas Friedman had his book, The World is Flat, talking about how greater communication and connectivity is making it so that the world is essentially flat. We're, we're being brought together. So how has etiquette changed in this era of instant communication? Um, I don't know that it's changed more than it's been forgotten. I think um, perhaps people need to remember that etiquette doesn't necessarily take time or thought. It becomes a lifestyle. And so I think with, um, for me, with technology, I get to send two thank you notes for every interview. I send an email thank you note right after, and then I get to send a hard copy interview. Um, I think you have the internet. What an incredible research tool. The great thing I love about what I call principle-based etiquette, because principles can be applied over cultures and context and time, rules have rigidity to them. But when you take principles of etiquette, um, you can move into another culture. And if your principle is to be kind and thoughtful and create a relationship, then you can adapt to cultural rules and nuances and follow those around you. You're not afraid to ask and learn. And so you look at the internet, you are traveling to a country in Asia, and or even in Polynesia, you know, there are differences between how the Samoans will respond to how the Tongans will respond. You have the internet, you can research, you can look up at the State Department culture grams, you can understand what the culture is going to look like as you go there so that you have some sense of what you're going to be encountering. You won't have all of it, but you will have done your homework, just like any smart business person is going to learn that to be successful, you do your homework. And I think that the internet has facilitated that wonderful resource of information so that we don't have to have a three foot long shelf of books, although I still have mine. <laughs> so. Thank you. Oh, Dylan, I just have one. I was just on a career panel two weeks ago and with a gentleman who's very um, prominent in the tech community. And I had been told that in tech, you don't send a hard copy thank you, that they wouldn't know what to do with paper. And um, I'd heard that from several sources. And so I asked him directly, 
and he thought for a second. He said, um, I will very much appreciate the email thank you after interacting with someone. And he said, receiving a piece of paper would be such a novelty that it would certainly make them memorable. So I think I'm changing my mind about that a little bit. I think everyone should send an email thank you note and a hard copy, no matter what industry you're in. They can toss it away if they don't want the paper. But I think it's another point of contact. You know, they can think about you again in a positive light. So mm -hmm. a bit of adaptation there. Thank you. I like that. It's, a, it's another point building that relationship with the principle behind etiquette of being on building relationships rather than just remembering rules. What are some of the biggest mistakes people make with etiquette? Thinking they know it all. Um, I think, think you're at a business dinner. And I know this because I've spoken now with businesses and worked in a professional situation enough that there are literal things that they will do during a business dinner or luncheon. They're, they're going to be checking how you respond. And, um, or even what you order from the menu. Invariably, everyone will ask the question, you know, what should you order from the menu if you're out to dinner? And people will say, oh, you should order the same thing as the host. Really? You could end up with six plates of chicken. That's not really creative. Um, or they'll say, order the least expensive. And I'm like, really? Now think, if you were a business person, just simply ask. There is no shame in asking the question. So at a, you're out at a business lunch, I would ask the host, what would you recommend? And then the host can say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to have the pasta today, but the lobster here is fabulous. What does that tell me? That I could have the lobster if I wanted it. And that shows my hope for a future employer that, number one, I have the humility and the curiosity to ask a question when I don't know something. Secondly, that I have the creativity to order what I want to order. I'm not just going to do what everyone else has done. But I'm just not going to pretend I know everything either. Again, think if you didn't have the humility to ask a question, you could cost a company millions of dollars if you pretend you know everything. And I've never had a single person in my life be offended because I asked them how to do something, how to eat something, how to respond to something, how to approach someone. I have a good friend who played tennis at Wimbledon, and he, it was his very first time, and he had come up after one of my presentations, and he said, this is my story. I was at Wimbledon. I was scared, terrified. And he said, another very famous tennis player came up to me, and he said, let me help you with this. This is how we do this. And he said he was so grateful because he didn't know what to do. And he said, I needed to look to someone else. So if we were just more curious and more humble and genuinely interested in what was going on, I think we can just ask. Don't pretend you know it all because you don't. Thank you. I think it's really important. Um, and I think it's important that we no longer focus on etiquette as a, as a list of do nots. Um, so what are the, some of the things that we should do? Um, okay, so here we go, ladies and gentlemen, my principles, okay? <laughs> Probably uh, some of my favorite principles when I take a survey of my class at the end of them, one of them is do remember that please and thank you matter. It changes the conversations. Um, it shows respect for people. I think that um, thinking about others before yourself, um, and that looks a couple different principles. First of all, perhaps in your dress and grooming. Feel good about yourself so you can forget about yourself. Get up in the morning and understand that dressing well is a form of good manners. Um, and so you do that, you're all put together, and then you walk out the door and you don't have to worry if you have a hole in your sock or your shoes aren't right or be distracted by those things. You can focus on the people around you. I think one of the principles that um, students really um, seem to appreciate is look for the one. 
So many times we'll go into a large business event and networking event and everyone gravitates towards the president of the company. And I can guarantee that there are people there who will have importance and a say in who gets hired who are not the president of the company. Case in point, I think of the story of when I was young. Again, if my husband was the youngest ambassador, I think he was the youngest assistant secretary of state ever for um, international organizations. And so I was invited to event um, shortly after his hearing and confirmation at the vice president's house. And I'm an introvert by nature. I, you would think I'm an extrovert when I talk about these things because I'm passionate about them. But I'll go home and curl up in a ball and read a book for three hours to recover. And so I was trying to get out of my extra, you know, introverted self, walk to this event at the vice president's um, um, home. And there was a very large tent with all of the ambassador's wives there that I needed to meet. And I was at the time 26 years old. I walk in and I was, I was scared. And I thought, I'll just turn around. Nobody will know if I'm there or not. And so I started to turn, and Mrs. Bush, and I'll never forget, this is a vice president's wife. She came up to me and said, Candlin, you're new. Can I introduce you to some people around here? And she took me around and introduced me and helped me feel comfortable. So that principal, she looked for the one who was uncomfortable. You're in that networking event. Everyone's around the president. Look for the COO. Maybe she's a little bit more shy. She's standing towards the back. But because you had done your homework before that event, and because you have technology, you knew who the whole board was. You knew who was going to be um, there. You knew what they looked like because they have these lovely things called pictures on the Internet. And if not on the Internet, check LinkedIn. You know the people who are going to be there. And you can see they want to be able to talk to someone. You walk up to them and, you know, Miss Johnson, it's so good to see you here. Um, tell me about the work that you do with the company. I understand you're in North Africa with some of their charitable work. What a conversation. And it's rich and it's real. The next morning, um, the board meets and said, were there any outstanding gentlemen or women there last evening? Do you think the president will remember you as easily from a cast of 60 as the COO who had a one-on-one conversation with you that was real? And they speak up and say, oh, I had this wonderful conversation. They knew our company. They knew our mission statement. They knew our philanthropic um, involvement. Yeah, look for the one. And practice these skills of not downloading your elevator speech, but making real connections, being interested in someone else. That's creating relationships. And then I think the last principle, there's 16 of them, but I'll only give you three, is figure out who you are because there's great freedom and joy in understanding who you are. When you understand your limitations and your strengths and you start playing to your strengths, there's an energy and a positivity that your life takes on. And you can truly be, as I in the moment with that person. You're not thinking behind or forward. You're really making a connection. And those connections, I believe, are eternal. Thank you. While the principles are why we do what we do, um, let's kind of shift focus to the what now. Um, So how would you characterize the interplay between etiquette and dress? Oh. Well, and we just spoke up about, um, you know, that feel good about yourself so you can forget about yourself principle. Etiquette, uh, when it comes to dress, is having a sensitivity. You don't want to distract people from your message. With that, you don't want to lose who you are. 
So be respectful of your environment. Um, obviously, it's always easier to be a little overdressed for something because you can take off a tie if needs be. Um, all You often hear you're dressed for the position you want. I say yes and make sure you're sensitive to the cultural environment. Everyone's wearing jeans. You probably don't want to wear dress slacks. You might want to wear chinos if you prefer to be a little more dressed up. Um, make sure you attend to the details in your dress because Interestingly, you have seven to 10 seconds to make a first impression. So people are making snap judgments about you, whether you're in an interview situation or professional situation, whether you realize it or not, your posture impacts that. Um, it's, it's an entire class in um, what we talk about, and it is important because it creates an impression, and that opens up the relationship. So do your homework. What does that company wear? How can you honor, remember, dressing well is a form of good manners, and take care of the things you have. Um, quantity and quantity, most people don't get to have both of those in life, so choose are you a quantity person or a quality person. That, they're both legitimate ways to do things. And then make sure your shoes are shined and that your nails are polished so you don't have those distractions. When I was on this career panel just um, two weeks ago, one of the gentlemen mentioned that they will see someone really nicely dressed in a suit and they immediately look to their shoes and they will be dismissed. You know, They'll end the interview 10 minutes early if it doesn't fit because there's dissonance. It shows lack of attention to detail, lack of care, lack of time management because you didn't have the time to polish your shoes. I mean, there are all these things that are being made literally in seconds the impression. So why would you not attend to those things so you can forget about them and just get on to the business of creating relationships? So yes, etiquette isn't dressing like robots. It's understanding who you are, feeling good about what you're wearing so it reflects who you are, and it's respectful of the situation and the people around you. Interesting, thank you. Um, what do you think is the role of etiquette in business? Is there a role for etiquette in business? I think there's a role for etiquette in every part of our life. I think that etiquette can facilitate stronger um, relationships. It can also ruin relationships, quite frankly, especially as we travel abroad if we don't have sensitivities. Case in point, the simplicity of a personal card. Um, I really encourage my students to um, carry a personal card. You may not have a business card, but a personal card just has your name and your contact information. You're traveling abroad to Asia, the tradition there is, is very, very strongly held that they will hand you immediately a business card. Missionaries in Asia are given personal cards because it's that important in that culture. When you take a, a card in Asia, you will look at it. You don't immediately put it in your, your pocket. You look at it, you study, it's a sign of respect. And um, so I look at that, why would you be cavalier about their rules? I think you seek to understand because when you look to other cultures and why they do things, why they have the rules they do, it helps you understand the person in front of you well. And the personal cards, I had a student last semester who we had just had our personal card, she developed hers. She was at a networking dinner in the Tanner building and the mentor was at the table, they were all sitting having dinner. Um, the night came to a close and the mentor said, oh, it's been so delightful visiting with you, you know, here's my business card. She pulls out her personal card and says, oh, and here's my contact information. And she said he looked a little taken aback and said, oh, that's amazing. Then she followed the standard protocol that that night she went home and she had his contact information, so she wrote him an email, thank you very much, sent out the next morning her hard copy email, or her hard copy thank you note to this gentleman. So the dinner was on Tuesday, and now it's Friday, and she gets a call on Friday from this gentleman. And he says, you know, I have never seen anyone so 
well prepared to create a relationship. Let's talk about a job. And she got a job because she sent a thank you note, an email and a hard copy, and a personal card. And she was a pretty cool person, too, (laughs) you know. So, so yeah, um, etiquette facilitates relationships. And if you understand business, that's what it's about. Beyond how we handle giving and receiving business cards in Asia, what are some of the other big differences in etiquette throughout the world? Okay, remember I have that three-foot-long shelf <laughs> and the Internet? I guess some of the things that I remember um, and from traveling, and uh, my husband's been now to 88 countries, so he should be speaking to this more than I do, but um, in my limited travels and experiences, we have lived in Asia and Europe, and I studied in Europe and Scandinavia especially, Interesting things, do you go into Scandinavian home, you take off your shoes, which means you never have holes in your socks, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, you take off your shoes, and you'll see this pile of shoes in an elegant Swedish manor house that probably costs $5 billion, but that's what they do. Uh, they say, talk fair mountain, which in a Western culture, you would never think to thank someone for the food. But um, in Swedish formal society, they'll literally line up in a line under after the dinner for every guest to say, talk fair mountain. You know, I think of the French people, when you're there, they have such a wonderful way of conversation. It almost feels like a debate, and they're passionate about that. And when you understand that passionate that passion that they have for conversation, you behave differently. They're a little bit more formal. Their sensitive meals take you know hours there, opposed to the 20 minute average we have here in the United States for a meal. Um, you look to the southeast. Where do you sit? What hands do you use? Is a right hand, one hand above the table, elbows on the table, elbows under the table, elbows never seen. Uh, all those fit with different countries. Um, I guess the best thing I could say is check the internet, you know, <laughs> because there's such diversity and richness in the world. And those rules are there for a reason. I know the first class we say, what's the history? How'd this rule come into being? And so it again, it helps you understand the culture. You may not understand the rule, but when you keep seeking to understand what's behind the rule, you will understand the international environment and those you're working with much, much more fully. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, staying on differences in etiquette throughout the world, Gift-giving isn't really a part of our culture in the U.S. I mean, it is, but, you know, a fruit basket here and there isn't really, doesn't compare to how it can be in Asia or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. How, how should someone from the U.S. who isn't used to giving relatively extravagant gifts, how, how should we react? Mm-hmm. How, how do we prepare for that situation? There, my husband has a client that he's worked with for years who his most recent company is he builds literally yachts in the world. Um, we went to their wedding and there was a, one of the weddings of one of their children and literally a traffic jam of Rolls Royces and Bentleys. Not Mercedes. We're talking Rolls Royces and Bentleys, okay? I did. I look for the Ferraris or the Teslas, okay? You know, but, um, but um, just you know, wealth that I could probably never comprehend. And um, his wife designs jewelry. And she has taught me so much about learning to just say thank you. I think when a gift is sincerely given, that's the difference. Um, Annie has given me some of the most beautiful pieces of jewelry that I will never be able to reciprocate. And the first piece I received is this gorgeous South Seas Pearl ring. 
And I looked at that, and I was taken aback. Luckily, we weren't working in government at the time, so I could <laughs> keep it. Which, just so you know, if you work in government, I have a set of rubies I'm really bitter about that I was given. A, <laughs> of course, my husband, who's honest beyond honest, gives them back. Later, I learned some people actually keep them, you know, but not me. We gave our rubies back, you know, from a gentleman in India. But Annie gave me this beautiful pearl ring, and the best thing that I could do was to have Annie in my home for dinner. That's how I could reciprocate. The best that I had to give her was something that I could give of my family and of myself. Annie gave me the best that she could give, which was that beautiful South Seas Pearl ring that I cherish to this day. Not because of its value, but because of who it was given from. And Annie, to this day, I love being in your home. We love coming there, you know. Um, Gifts don't have to be reciprocal, but they have to be received graciously and given in sincerity. And then just remember who they represent, not what it is. Thank you. Is it always better to match the etiquette style of the country you are visiting? Or or are there certain cases where they should match yours? I, um, this is where etiquette also plays into beliefs and values and mm-hmm. systems and religious. And I see this with my husband when he was, um, he took the first trade mission in 1978 when China first was given favored nation status with then Governor Thornburg. And he was over there and not drinking Mao Tai, which is this wicked little alcohol that seriously, you get a little tipsy just smelling it. And um, we were gathered around the table and um, it was a man of some import. I want to say like the vice premier. I, I could be totally lying. Um, but he asked why my husband is not um, taking. And the translator says, um, you know, whispers and said for religious reasons. And, oh, that's fine. People respect values and beliefs. I don't think they respect or understand ignorance or rudeness. And so... It's been my experience that if you're respectful, you seek to understand and adapt to people's cultures, and um, again, you're seeking to understand them, you're fine as long as you don't have to compromise values and beliefs. And that's where I would push back a little bit. If I have a strongly held religious belief, I'm not going to compromise that for a cultural um, you know, rule that really isn't of, you know, has earthly value, not eternal value in my mind. But those, it's, again, my experience, those circumstances are very few and far between. So I love to learn the culture. I would be respectful of the culture I'm in and not be like the bull in the china shop, especially Westerners. And so my counsel would be to, you know, follow the rules of the culture and the country you're in, unless it conflicts with values or beliefs that you have. Excellent. Thank you. For more information about global business and culture, visit www.internationalhub.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast.